0: Damn it. That's a nice looking car. Yeah, thanks. Back in the day, the girls loved it. Turn it over. How the hell did you do that? I designed it. You're John DeLorean, aren't you? <laughs> Shakespeare writes a play. He at least gets to put his name on it. Well, I might do that yet. Ladies and gentlemen, the most successful auto executive in living memory, Mr. John DeLorean. Uh... It is my great pleasure to present to you the DeLorean Car. It's like science fiction or something. It's the future. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Pekovic, and this is episode number 233. Releasing in cinemas across the U.S. on August 16 is Driven, a based on true events story about the friendship between iconic car tycoon John DeLorean and FBI informant Jim Hoffman, a friendship that will end in scandal. Starring Jason Sudeikis, Lee Pace and Judy Greer, Driven is a fascinating and thoroughly entertaining look at the lengths people will go to and the lives they will tell to get ahead in life. Joining me now to talk about Driven is the film's director, Nick Hamm. I wanted to start off with the story itself. It's so fascinating, and it is not a traditional biopic in the way it's presented. It's very much a crime caper. Um, you wrote this... Um, you know, Colin Bateman wrote the film for you. You guys worked previously. Whose idea was it to approach the film in this kind of way, in more of a crime caper and less in a traditional biopic kind of uh, uh, method?
1: Well, we both thought that... We both think that bio You know... I thought the biopic is a very boring format. And, you know, I'm really not that interested in docs. And bo- I think they're quite boring. You know, they're not interesting to me. And I thought, well, DeLorean's life wasn't as interesting. You know, it, it wasn't that interesting for a biopic. It, well, he wasn't that fascinating. He didn't invent the iPhone. You know, he, he wasn't Gandhi. He, he didn't, you know, he didn't storm the beaches of Normandy. He didn't do any of that. He invented a rather useless car. And he was a showman doing it. And so I thought to myself, well, how do you go into this story and how do you tell it? And what's the most interesting format for telling it? And Colin and I had worked together on, you know, a movie before. And normally when we're in post on one movie, we start on the next. We sort of were noodling around how to get into this story and researching it and reading about him. And then we discovered this really lowlife scumbag called Hoffman who is, is kind of became DeLorean's neighbor in, in California. And he was a, almost a professional FBI informant. And his life, uh, you know, is one long, is one long journey of lies. So that to us, suddenly we found a character that, you know, was fascinating in his own right and collided with uh, DeLorean's character in a kind of interesting way. And so that's what became, for us, the catalyst to, to tell the story. Interestingly,
0: um, DeLorean's base of operations was in Belfast Island in the early 80s. Yourself and Colin both originally from Ireland. I'm pretty sure Colin is still based there. Um, do you have memories from that time when he first came in and set up shop?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's really why both of us started on the story, because we're both from Northern Ireland. You know, as you say, Colin still, still, still lives there. And, um, you know, the whole way that DeLorean came into that community, built a factory, you know, set it up, um, employing both Catholics and Protestants. And then the whole demise of that factory and how it all collapsed was a fascinating local story, if you like, that sort of went nowhere. It kind of, it was something and then it wasn't something. And so we were always fascinated by it for the last 30 years, really. Why? What happened to that dude? And how, you know. What what, he, what became of him and, you know, how did that all, what, what, what and so once you start to investigate lifestyle, his, the way he was as a person, you know, what, what he did in order to get that money, you know, who he told what to in order to achieve 120 million out of the British government, at that time that was a lot of money, yeah. you know, how did he made it, the, the enemies he made, and Thatcher and Reagan, how he got involved with the FBI, how he got involved in a Coke deal in, in a Southern California two-bit hotel down in Newport Beach. You yeah. know, how does the juxtaposition of owning a Belfast car factory producing a car that doesn't work sit alongside a guy doing a Coke deal in a Newport Beach hotel in California? How does that work? So, therefore, you go, okay, this is a great story. Let's go, let's get into this.
0: The link between those worlds is, of course, James Hoffman, who you you described before. I will describe him as a weasel, charming yet slimy. Um, And Jason Sudeikis really plays him really well. Um, To me, Jason Sudeikis is one of the best kind of examples of kind of like a post-Saturday Night Live career. How did you find working with him? How did you know that he would be the best James Hoffman for your
1: film? I needed somebody in the movie who was endearing in that role because, as you say, Hoffman in real life, was a disgusting human being. You know, he'd spent his 20s hijacking and messing around in Las Vegas casinos. And, you know, his, 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 he, he was actually employed at that moment, when we go to him in the movie, um, as an undercover operator for the FBI, trying to bring down a guy called Morgan Hendrick, who was bringing coke into California from the cartels from South America that was his regular employment. So, you know, he was a low level operator in many respects and not a very nice person, but you can't really, I wasn't sort of, there's not a lot about him. You can't read about him. I put a private investigator on and try and find him. He's in the witness protection program or he's probably dead. Um, and yet what you can find out about him is not exactly fascinating. So, there's a level of invention that we can have as, as as writers and artists which become it becomes fascinating and required an actor who could be endearing that required an actor who could lie cheat and be deceitful with a wink and a smile and you'd still like them and Jason is one of those actors you, he is an endearing character he plays slime balls particularly well but he plays them with a wink and a, and a charm that you need and that's what you needed in that character and that character combined with Lee who as an actor has a kind of effortless 50's movie star charm which is what sort of DeLorean had in many respects and that combo kind of works really well.
0: The film's title is really apt um, because the motivations of these characters, especially John DeLorean, he is driven by something to become greater than years. I mean, he's very much the embodiment of the American dream. He was the son of immigrants. He came from a tough background. But then he had it all. He had the money. He had the lifestyle he had. He was inventive. I mean, and then he makes this brain dead decision, and I kind of you understand why he does it. You understand why, but you yeah. still don't understand why. I mean, why, why, why? Out of all the stuff that he could have done, why go down this road? Was it just because it was the era of cocaine and that's what people did? I mean, why that road?
1: You know, it's a. I think it's a really good question, and you know, when you really research it, right, and you dig deep into it and you talk to the lawyers, and you read the trial transcripts, and you talk to the lawyer who was with him for a year every day in the car going to the trial with his wife, you know, you you simply still don't know the answer. You still don't know why he thought, as a corporate executive, he could turn that money that he had into cash and become a drug dealer and maintain his relationships with the British government and with the car industry and his profile as a human being. So there's something in that. And this is what I put in the movie that leads me to believe that he was committing suicide, Hmm. that there was a level at which he knew he was complicit in going down, the film. And I sorry. can't explain why, but I think that there's something about a career-defining moment where he crashed and burnt.
0: The film also deals with deception, and I've I've read you talk about how um, the character of um, Bloom, um, Bloom, he was an unreliable narrator. Um, you don't know the truth from the fiction. And I think it's really relevant for today's day and age, this era of fake news, so to speak, that we're living in. Um, yes. Do you think that this film definitely says something about the climate we are in right now, especially in regards to um, oh, illusions right, yes. of success?
1: Yes. I mean, come on. We're absolutely in a world where narcissists run the planet, where showmen and... And falsehoods become the order of the day and aren't even questioned. And there's a kind of Trumpian feel to DeLorean all the way through. There's a kind of delusion about who he is and what he is, and it's self-delusion. But yet, people believed in the image. So what does that say? Hmm. You know, are we the idiots for being gullible? Are we the morons for falling for it? or are they just adept snake oil salesmen and we're we're buying it by the bucket load so yes it's a story about self-delusion yes it's a story about self-destruction yes it's a buddy movie about two liars who come together and basically you know decide to to do this ludicrous act but it also speaks to exactly what you're talking about, which is a world of where illusion becomes reality and reality becomes unknown.
0: Final question, Nick. Um, Driven was filmed in Puerto Rico. You were there before Hurricane Maria. You were there afterwards as well. And um, a lot of the crew that worked on your film were from Puerto Rico. And um, I just wanted to ask you about the experience of coming back to see that devastation and just how important it was to, like the film's title, to be driven and to keep moving forward and to also give opportunity to many of the locals there who are working on your, on your production so they had something to do in the morning, they had money when they came home and had an opportunity to move forward.
1: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, that's the most important thing and that's the biggest reason we went back. You know, we'd shot for a week. We knew we had a great material. But we were devastated. We were, all, we were all flown out. We were all put on in center New York because you're not allowed to, the insurance wouldn't cover us. So we had to be evacuated. And then, when we saw the devastation that had happened, we honestly thought, well, this is it. We, how are we going to ever go back here? We can't. I mean, this is like place is destroyed. And we're in the middle of making this Hollywood picture with these glamorous settings with period cars and discos and girls and swimming pools and you know and none of that existed it was destroyed you know there's three things that happen in a natural disaster which are quite profound the first is there's no electricity and if there's no electricity there's no money because mm. guess what there's no credit cards <laughs> so there's no credit cards there's no gasoline so you can't there's, so there's no gas there's no power there's no water and the place is devastated so it's dark at six o'clock at night there's no street lamps and everything's running on generators. Everything. But we knew that we had to go back because our crew were desperate for us to go back. You know, we were supplying money to 300, 400 people. And we also knew if we did go back, the industry in Puerto Rico would have been devastated for six to nine months, and that would have been it. No one would have gone back. And when we went back, three weeks after us, Sony went back and did a TV show. And after them, a movie went back. So the fact that we went back is the film industry survived in that area and came back again. So to me, it was an example of the movie business giving back. To me, it was an example of a business that's often associated with self-interest, narcissism and behavior that is not necessarily, shall we say, decent. In this case, it's a a situation where, yes, it was self-serving, we went we finished the movie, but we also made sure that the people around us were supported and their families were supported and that they had a paycheck and that they could go home at night with money in their pocket. And that when this movie, which it did close the Venice Film Festival, the pride for them as a group of people who put this thing together and given their all to it was a testament to their own strength and for people coming through that kind of disaster.
0: And, uh, so it's, for us,
1: it was very important.
0: And it's important for people to know as well that um, people are still in dire straits over there, so you can go to globalgiving.org to donate uh, to the people of Puerto Rico and help them out there as well. Um, the film is called Driven, releases August 16. Uh, Nick Ham, I thank you very much for joining me today to talk about your film. And uh, i and I've got to say thank you very much with your patience for me with my faux pas at the, at the beginning of our interview as well. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't
1: worry. Um, nice th- to speak to you, man. Take you, it easy.
0: You too. Thank you. Goodbye.